you are listening to Welcome to the Other Side, and I'm your host, Meg Gluckman. This podcast is designed for moms after divorce. It's all about how you can move on from your divorce, how to co-parent without drama, and even how to start dating again when you're ready and have fun with it. I'll bring lots of tips and tricks and strategies for you to use every day. And I'll bring on some experts to share their wisdom on how you can create that juicy, rich, lush life post-divorce that you really want. You are not alone on your journey. There's so much we can share together. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Meg Gluckman, and today I've got a guest with me that I'm very excited about. It's Pete Sibley. Hi, Pete. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. In a moment, I'll have you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background, but where are you calling in from today? Well, Meg, I'm calling in from the central coast of California, a place that this East Coast the uh, Yankee never thought that he would end up, but here I am for the last 15 years. Um, oh my gosh, I love that. Where on the East Coast are you from? Well, I grew up in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, both my, uh, my wife and I grew up, we uh, slowly made our way across the country and here we are on the West Coast. So, so cool. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a Vermonter, so we're, we're not too far apart. Hey, you're right. Over there. Yeah. So Pete and I are in a couple uh, common communities. Uh, we're both life coaches. And I started following Pete um, probably a while back when he started talking a lot about self-kindness. And it really resonated with me. Mm-hmm. And he's very musical, so he's very fun to follow as well. <laughs> um, but... Pete, why don't you share a little bit of your story about what brought you, what was your path to getting to coaching on self-kindness? Sure, sure. Well, thanks, Meg. And thanks so much for creating this space where we can talk about the uh, this human experience and this human journey. I'm a big fan of, of being human. So I guess the human journey is an important part of that. And yeah, I came into self-kindness um, probably like most of your listeners would have come to a personal growth journey. And that is things just got so fucking uncomfortable that something had to happen. Um, you know, my journey ended up, um, looking back now, there was a lot of anxiety, um, depression, and even moments of that, dreaded thought of what's the point. Um, and that brings back tears again. Hmm. Um, but, you know, it basically, it came to the point, uh, like, uh, in, in my life, I had the, the, the privilege, um, you know, first of all, just the, the lottery that I won of being born a cishet white American man. I have a lot of um, systems that are in place. And I see that now something I wasn't aware of growing up, but I see how 
um, that definitely gave me a lot of advantages um, in my life. And uh, I also had the wonderful, you know, I grew up in a house where my parents were relatively happy. I had kinder older siblings, um, grew up in a, in a supportive home, extended family. Um, and, and also, I feel like a lot of the things that that were offered in life growing up, I I was feel very fortunate that things came, they came, you know, relatively to me without needing to work super hard. Like I could get good grades. Um, I was athletic and, but I also had this talent and penchant for singing. And so um, in my life, it felt like I got to do things and was rewarded and successful and, and told by the world around me that, you know, I was, I was doing a good job. Right. And, um, so, so that tracked, um, for much of my life. And, um, I, I grew up in a household that wasn't, you know, frightening religious, but it was very, it was a lot of church on Sunday. It was, you know, a Protestant Methodist upbringing. And I was, was essentially told that, you know, my life, I was kind of here to serve other people. Like that was our highest, you know, humility, um, being in service of other people, um, sacrificing yourself. That was, um, that was how you were in highest service. So fast forward a little bit. Um, college didn't go so great because i felt like I hadn't learned the skills of, you know, actually how to learn and how to study and how to be a student. I made it through, okay, and graduated. But it, it definitely, I think it was the first moment in my life where I was kind of like, I started to get nervous about like, maybe I, I, I couldn't do it. Maybe there was something that wasn't fully formed yet. Like maybe there was something wrong with me. But I feel like that was starting to be the energy. And it was like this fear-based, you know, a little background. I'm like, what if? Like, don't worry, you might not. And so um, my wife and I, we were high school sweethearts. We ended up getting married out of college. And we moved to the Rocky Mountains. And when we were there, we fell in love with playing music and we realized we could have a music career and we were pretty darn good at it. So, um, so we kept, we kept going. I'm trying to shorten up the story a little bit. Um, and, uh, we ended up, we were living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And we had a night where we, like, we decided that we were going to sell our town home, take our two babies on the road, and we were going to like really go for this music thing. So maybe we were going to go to Nashville. Maybe we'd go to, you know, New York, Austin. And that ended up being an adventure where we were drove around the country for almost 16 months living out of our car. And we went through 30 different states and we ended up in California. And when we landed in California, because we got here, we were so exhausted. Um, and it didn't end up happening the way that we thought, like that we would like have landed a record deal by now. Um, 
that's when the thoughts started hitting of I ruined my family's chances. I'm a horrible husband. Um, I'm actually a failure because the music career didn't work. Um, you know, everybody kept telling me like what, how amazing it was that I was following my dream and my passion and what a great gift I was giving my kids of living out on the road and getting to meet all these people and how brave it was that my wife and I worked like all the feedback was, you know, doing it the right way and yet darkness inside. So that was a long winded answer to how I got the self-kindness because eventually I was like, you know, like I said, that the ideation was, um, what's the point? Uh-huh. I have totally messed things up completely. Um, divorce definitely was in the back of my mind of like, not so much that I wanted to leave my wife, but like the idea was why would she want to stay with me? Uh-huh. Um, but people kept, when they started to realize that I was really struggling, people would say, Pete, you gotta like, you're such a nice, you're so kind to everybody. You're so loving. Like you got to start doing that for yourself, Pete. You got to love yourself. And Meg, honestly, like I felt like I wouldn't punch somebody in the face when they told me like, love yourself. Cause I'm like, I don't think I'm a stupid person. Like I would do it if I knew how. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds so simple when people say it that way, but if it was so simple, why wasn't I doing it? Right. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, it was like, okay, I could, I could see that I was a kind person, um, on some level. So it was like, how do I do a little bit of that towards me? And that began, that started my journey and I'm still on that journey. Yeah. Do you, and this, this may be too far back to remember, but do you remember the first place in your life where you started applying some kindness to yourself? Yeah, I do. In the way that I practice it now, I remember um, that the kindness that I felt like I started to practice was literally allowing it to be okay in the realm of possibility that I was feeling and experiencing life the way that I was. Like that it, there was a tiny piece that was okay that I was actually experiencing depression, that I didn't have things figured out, that I was really struggling financially, that things weren't great with between my wife and I. Like mm-hmm. it's, it sounds strange because I, I feel like that is, it's one of the, the hangups of a self-kindness practice. It's like we are almost superstitious that if we have an energy of acceptance for this moment, that somehow we'll get stuck in this moment. So it's like, I can't accept the fact that my bank account keeps bouncing because if I accept that, that that means I'll I'll, I'll be stuck here. But it's that strange thing that we learn again and again and again, right, Meg? That's like... The, the thing that we think is like is going to keep us there is actually the thing keeping us from it. Right. right. Like when we're impatient, like that ends up causing it to feel like it's taking longer when we're, you know, 
frantic, like we're not to try to get to peace, like we never find peace. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, and the word that comes to mind for me when you talk about accepting where you are is shame. Yeah. By accepting, you're removing the shame, right? So the Mm -hmm. shame is there saying, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I'm wrong for being depressed or I'm wrong for not having succeeded. And when we take that away, it's like the first layer of the onion. Like we have to pull off the shame first and acceptance helps us pull off the shame. This is what is going on. I am depressed. I have not, I don't have a record deal, right? Like acceptance. And then what comes next? What comes next after the acceptance? Well, it's like the acceptance. Yeah, I love that because the shame or whatever it is, sometimes it doesn't even have a name. It's Uh like, you know, it's like wearing a pair of glasses that is just coloring everything Uh that you see. And so for me, acceptance is, it's almost like it was maybe secondary. I can almost back up to allowing being the first, like allowing it to be something that I'm even aware of was the first thing because like denial was a huge part of it. It's like, no, I can't, although internally it was screaming, the last thing I wanted to do was say it out loud because it's like, then like, there's no more denying it. So it was like allowing myself to do that, then acceptance. And then I feel like from the acceptance, we move into, um, there's a little bit of, like there is maybe a little bit of room of, um, of space. Like uh, I'm thinking of there's, there's a, um, you know, a pretty famous book out there called, um, has, um, what is it? The author's name is Victor Frankl. He was a Holocaust survivor, survivor. Um, I think he titled it, you know, appropriately when he was writing it in the sixties, uh, something like the, you know, the, the man's like the search for man's meaning man's or desire. Search for meaning. Yeah. That's yes. Right. There it is. Yeah. And in it, he taught, he has this famous quote that he's been quoted tons of time that says between the stimulus and the reaction, there is a space. Hmm. And I believe all of the coaching that I do now is about coming and landing in that space mm-hmm. because in that space is, is everything. It's, it's your, right. our opportunity to, to choose um, and to be present. And um, so, yeah, so allowing, mm-hmm. accepting and in space and in then, space my choice intentionally was to be like, what does, what does self kindness look like in this moment? Uh Because I knew I was really good at being kind and good to other people. Uh At least I thought I was. (laughs) So, um, so why was it such a challenge for me? Yeah. Yeah. The image, I don't know why this image is coming to me when we talk about the space, but I'm kind of imagining walking into a dressing room, like a really gorgeous, big, fancy, like movie stars dressing room. 
and there's like so many different outfits you could try on and put on. Like there's so many different options when, when you're outside of the dressing room, like it, you know, before, before the acceptance, before the allowing, right. It feels like there's no options. And then you, you work your way through the allowing and then the acceptance. And then you walk into this beautiful dressing room. That's like, what do we want to think about Uh, ourselves? What do we want to believe about our inherent worth? Mm -hmm. There's so many options. Yeah, there are. And, you know, that's why I love this as a practice in my life, because I see like each one of those steps. Then I walk into that dressing room and I see myself reaching towards the something. But then all of a sudden, you know, there it is again, that that self-talk will pop in and be like, what? You can't wear that. Or, or, you know, a big part of my challenge around, you know, the world of toxic masculinity is like, if I choose something that makes me feel a certain way, anything besides like tough, like I'm going to kick your ass, like, you know, there's like, oh, well, you know, there's, there's a lot of toxicity around man embracing more feminine. If it isn't like clearly denoted that, oh, he's like, you know, he's gay or he's trans or, or they're trans, you know? Um, and so part of my kindness journey has been about like continuing to like, I love the thought that all of me makes sense. Mm. And like, oh my gosh, like the thing that is so ironic about self-kindness is so many people hear it and they think selfish. And the way that I practice it and I know in my own heart is like, this is actually way more generous than my upbringing taught me of how to be selfless because I watched all the adults in my life burn themselves out. I watched them like, you know, numb their life, even while they were like doing these great things of like church events and feeding people on the street and like they were doing good work, but it was misaligned. So it wasn't sustainable. And it also creates, it like continues to create and perpetuate part of the patriarchal system, which says that like some people need to be saved. Uh And rather than where I believe these, my, the people in my life that I love and cherish my parents and my grandparents and aunts and uncles, they, they, I believe that they wanted to come from that spot that we all are inherently worthy that we all are inherently serving. And yet I witnessed my own mom, like never being able to actualize that in her own life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, I was, I really mean, like if your listeners are listening, like they are, they represent the the courageous um, edge of the amoeba, if you will, of (laughs) the world society of who we are. Like, you all represent that edge of the amoeba that starts to go away and then the rest of the amoeba is going to follow. It's like such courage to be able to look in the mirror and say, I see you, sweetheart. Like things may not be where we thought we were going to be at this moment at 40, at 30 something, but like you are worthy 
like you are so courageous i'm so proud of you yeah yeah i think for a lot of my listeners those words really resonate because they have said those to themselves during the divorce or after the divorce right like yeah. i'm a failure or i failed the marriage or the marriage failed or um I've ruined my family or my family, you know, yeah. my kids are ruined because of this. Right. And that need to move past those thoughts and find ones that are actually nourishing yeah. to us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, we've been talking about this practice of, of going from allowing to acceptance to space in this kind of like beautiful, like, you just do it, like just get on the <laughs> river and like flow down, right? Oh, no problem. Oh, um, but can you can you give us some tips on like how do we actually put this into practice? How do we yeah. catch the negative self talk and yep. start changing yep. things? I think that for me it was I was so much of life got lived out of the intellectual. Even though I saw myself as a relatively advanced, like emotionally sensitive man, I realized that actually I only had two emotions. One was like fear and terror, and the other was like anger and rage. And I oscillated between the two and always afraid that I was going to like land in one of them. So for me to actually practice this, it's like recalibrating and reconnecting with the language and the the wisdom that is this human body. Uh, like I you know, said at the beginning of the, the interview, like I really am becoming more and more of a fan of the human, like being a human. Um, because like as I, I do that, I, you know, I really get in touch with what is the sensation in my body. And I'm closing my eyes as I'm saying this. It's like, where do I feel it in my body? And then it's like creating a relationship with my own physical self. Um, you know, maybe a bunch of your listeners have um, trauma that's stored, and I would drop the maybe. Your listeners have trauma that's stored in the body. And so it makes sense that the mind is like, well, let's hold off going there for a moment. Let's see if we can figure this out intellectually first. But really the invitation, as you and I probably coach our clients on, is to get in touch. What is going on? Where are you feeling it? And that's why I call it kindness. Like, Just like I would do with my children when they were little, to before I do anything, just come up next to them and sit with them and hold them for a moment and support them in the experience that they're having. Mm-hmm. So learning how to do that in our own self and what that looks like is literally in the moment, just bringing my attention to feeling what's going on physically. Where is it? What does it feel like? So I'll share a specific example where I've done this recently is um, a client got a text from her ex and felt very triggered by it. Right. She was very angry, very upset, very frustrated, very defensive. And when we have that, the worst thing to do 
though we've all done it, is shoot off a text. I know Pete and I are both doing our thumbs, you guys. <laughs> yeah. beep, 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 yep. Right? Is to shoot off a text in that moment back to the ex to kind of like release the energy that we're feeling in our body, yeah. right? We're not even <clears throat> truly conscious that there's so much energy kind of zapping through us suddenly. But we want to like get rid of it. And so we we want to just respond and shoot off the text, right? Which can have some disastrous long-term <laughs> right. results. Um, and I'm only speaking from my personal experience. <laughs> right? And so instead, what we did was I had her close her eyes and I had her drop into her body. And what that really means, because drop into your body might sound kind of weird to folks that haven't heard that before, right? But it's to actually like scan through your body and notice where you're feeling any sort of sensation, like like Pete was saying, is there kind of a bubbliness in your stomach? Is is your heart racing? Do you feel a shortness of breath? Is your neck or throat clenched? Right? Are your hands shaking? And just staying with that sensation. And when I'm guiding a client through it, I'll have them just keep naming what they're noticing and then take a breath and then scan again. What are they noticing? Name it again. You know, is anything changing? Is it growing? Is it shrinking? Is it coming still? Is it moving more? There's all these different questions. We can kind of just get curious. It's almost as if, um, you're playing a game with a kid where, um, like you're blindfolded and you're trying to guess this object that they have. Right. And yeah. so you're just asking them a million questions to just get really curious. Is it hard? Is it soft? Is it cold? Is it hot? And we're just like really connecting. And like you're, you were saying, Pete, like we're out of our brain, we're out of intellectualizing it and we're going into what mm -hmm. the sensation is. Mm -hmm. And then what I also like to do is, is kind of ask that sensation, like, what does it need right now? Mm. Or what do, you know, what does it want me to have right now? Right. And maybe that's just comfort. Maybe it's rest. Maybe it's a hug, you yeah. know? Um, maybe it's to be outside yeah. for a few minutes and just have space. Maybe it's to scream. Maybe it's to cry. Mm. Right. Um, but just to like acknowledge, all right, like I can take care of my body. I can take care of you. Right. And that yeah. sweetness that you were describing of like just coming up next to it and being like, Hey, sweetie, what do you need? Yeah. Let, let yeah. me see what's going on here for you. Yeah. And like, I love that because I was just writing a post about parenting and how, you know, I feel like this, I, there is an, an idea in this, in the same vein of this, this kindness, this awareness practice of like present being a present parent. And what I love about that, as I started to explore is like, when we come with that energy, it's like, that becomes something that we trust 
And I feel like the old way that we have learned, like so many of us have learned, uh, the Gen Xers and millennials have learned how to parent. It's like there is a, almost like an if then, like if I can parent this way, then I get this kind of kid. And I, I want to like flip that around a little bit and be like, if you are, feel like you can trust being present in that moment, then you will respond like as needed in that moment which is fascinating. And I've watched it happen in my own life with my own kids because like the same exact scenario can happen and there can be two outcomes of how I parent it. But that comes from my own practice. Again, why I don't think this is selfishness, but my own practice of getting still and trusting that when I get in present, am I connected with, with, with staying connected with my kid, right? Am I present with my child? And so the answer to the question in one moment might be no, because I'm coming from a certain place inside of me. And I come from that same place inside of me, it might be a yes the next time. Uh-huh. And, but I know in me that I am a consistent parent. Even though the rest of the world might be like, oh, geez, Pete, you say yes sometimes, you say no other times. It's like, yeah, that's right. Because I always go in because of this practice first and I ask, What's the yes in Pete? And I think especially if you are parenting without, um, you know, without another adult right there in the moment. And this is the same with me and my wife and I, like, like being safe in the agency that I am, can tap into something that I trust in me to be a supportive, connective parent for me. And I, I still that. fuck it up all the time, but like, let, I'm making that, that's, that's the practice, right? Yeah. I love that so much because it means that we don't have to have the parenting manual like memorized. We don't yeah, have to know right? ahead of time how to handle every single situation, right? It's like, no, what I, what I want to do is practice this skill of being present Right. Which let me say it another way, because I even feel like that's a little vague in some ways for people. Right. When I think of it, it, it's like something happens with your kid and you're there and you're going to react to it. And you are aware of what's going on in your body in that moment. So you might be feeling angry or frustrated about something that they did. And you recognize that feeling in your body, right? You recognize what those sensations are pointing towards. And you are able to like separate that from how you're going to react, you know, to respond to your child. So like you're creating some space for that versus just just reacting in that instant, right? Mm-hmm. However that is. You're, it's almost like you're taking responsibility for what's coming up in your body yeah. in that moment. Yeah. And yeah. knowing that if I'm feeling triggered, if I'm feeling you know, angry or frustrated, that's not my best time to respond. Like that's not 
my best stuff isn't going to come right out of my mouth. Right. Right. And so I'm taking responsibility to figure out how can I regulate my nervous system downshift a little bit so that I can come from a more grounded space to respond. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's responsibility, but also in the sense that like in that moment, like we model the very thing that we want our kids to learn, which is like, we, you know, we want our kids to be able to have the full breadth of emotions. Right. But like we parent in a way that like this emotion is right. And that emotion is, is like, is more challenging. It's like, you know, but, but when we, when we do what you just talked about, you know, the responsibility, I believe that we are exhibiting is like, we're showing how to, you know, be responsible and allow and make it safe and okay. Hey, I'm getting fired up here. And Uh the other thing that I feel like what you're talking about is it, it invites trust into the energy. Like that you are trusting you to be available to you to kind of, and I don't know about you, but like, regardless of how many times I heard it, like (laughs) my kids seem to respond to like more about who I am rather than like how well I say it to them. And the crazy cool thing about this alchemy that seems to happen is like the very thing that we were most ashamed of becomes like a way to connect. And what I mean by that, Meg, is like in that time when I was feeling that depression and questioning how good I was as a parent, like my kids were babies. Like I, you know, one was nine months old or eight months old when we started traveling around the country, the other was three. So by the time we stopped in California, you know, we had a a two year old and a four year old. And I shared with them a few, like a month ago, we were in the bathroom. One's a freshman in high school now, and one's a, a sixth grader. And I shared with them the two moments in that time when I believed I was the worst dad on the planet with each of them. One of one was with my daughter. We were touring around the country. It, like I essentially got out of a running car and parked it on the side of the highway. And like I just walked away from the car and I'm like, she's screaming. I can't get her to stop. It's three in the morning. We're staying at some hotel. So that was with my daughter and with my son, like he like grabbed my hair when I was trying to change his diaper and I punched the bathroom wall because I was on my knees, you know, changing his diaper and I broke my hand. So, so embarrassing in those moments. But when I shared it with them just a month ago, because I had done my work around it, we were laughing. The kids were comparing notes. Like, who did dad freak out the most with? Like, it was like a point of pride in their life. And I could really feel that connection. Like, I have no idea, like, where, where they will take it. But I got to, like, it was like retelling that narrative. Like, it, those narratives will not live in my head as shame. Uh-huh any longer because of that. And that I believe is the responsibility that you're talking about that we do, we can do as a parent. Yeah. Oh, that's and so even awesome. if we don't have kids, we can do that to, to show up as a, as a, as an incredible uh, member of 
the community that, that we're part of. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that story. And I think, I mean, what jumps out to me from that too, is just that you telling them those stories in the bathroom probably will stick in their head and they'll remember them when they're becoming parents. Right. And, right. And they'll be like, my dad was willing to tell me how he wasn't perfect all the time. Mm. Oh God. And like, and it's okay that. Yeah. that I'm not perfect all the time as a parent. Oh, and, I love that reframe. Thank you. Right. Because we don't have to be, there's, there's absolutely no reason we have to be perfect parents. Yeah. Nor is it even, it's not even possible. So, mm. yeah. So beautiful. Pete, I could talk to you for like six more hours. Likewise, um, right? <laughs> <laughs> but we've got things to do with our days and to move on. So um, I would love to close and just hear just about you a little bit and how folks can work with you if if they're jiving with your message and where they can find out more about you. Sure. So I still, I mean, I've gotten braver about saying that I, I coach people on self-love, but I still use self-kindness a ton. So uh, Instagram is where I show up the most on socials, and that's uh, at self-kindness with Pete, all one word. Um, but I have the regular website, which is my full name, which is Pete Sibley. And uh, I have a podcast as well. Um, it's called your song of aliveness, um, where we just dabble in conversations like this around what is self-kindness and what does that look like? And I'm not that way. And, oh yeah, my wife and I, we did a ton of music. So we're out there on Apple and Spotify and things like that. Um, awesome. Just again, under our names. Well, we'll end it there today. Thank you so much, Pete, for spending this time with our audience and uh, sharing all your wisdom and your, and your teachings here. I think it's, um, it's something that we all struggle with is self-kindness and how we talk to ourselves. And the more we can have these open sharing vulnerable conversations, the better to, to help everyone out. Oh my gosh. Thank you. What, what a privilege. Thank you. All right, y'all. That's all for this week and we will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you would like more support in your life post-divorce or around co-parenting or around dating after divorce, I encourage you to hop over to my website and check out the resources that I have there. I have a really awesome class called Fearless Co-Parenting that you can download. It's 45 minutes long and it is chuck full of tips and techniques and mindset work that you can apply to your co-parenting relationship today for things to start feeling easier. I also have a dating after divorce quiz. This will give you a chance to see, am I ready to start dating again? It's seven questions that you can easily answer in just a few minutes that will really pinpoint if you have everything aligned that you want to have aligned before you start dating. And finally, if you want one-on-one -on -one support, I have a summer special 
coaching package opportunity for you. It is six sessions of one-on-one private coaching support to help work on getting over your divorce, co-parenting struggles, or even dating after divorce. Hop on over to my website, meggluckman.com, and check out all those great resources. Thanks, y'all.